Welcome to Sharon Feelings. My name is Chris Sharon. Thanks for listening. Today I'm talking with Lee Cohen, a friend of mine for many years. Lee and I met in college and have developed a strong friendship since moving to New York City. We jump right into a discussion about the challenge of caring, despite our shortcomings, and Lee shares a bit of inspiration from the great Theodore Roosevelt. Enjoy. I think it's so easy to get caught up with the things we're lacking and our shortcomings. And yeah. the, you know, it's not new. That's not new news. But I have to remember, and we, I think, as people, have to remember that even in our shortcomings, we are still we're still doing something, right? Yeah, I was thinking about the same thing. So often, well, I've realized because I've been taking my workouts more seriously since being here. It's like part of this promise to myself. Like if I'm going to be out here and away from Kristen and away from New York, like I'm going to be focusing on things that I don't always have the time and money and energy to do in in the city. And so I've been taking my workouts more seriously and I realized the more seriously I take my body and the harder I work, the more self-conscious I get about the work that I'm doing. <laughs> and all of, a, all of a sudden I'm right back in musical theater school and it's like, this mirror is following me around and I'm just like seeing myself and all of my flaws and all of my shortcomings like right in front of my face all the time. Right, but you know why that is, right? I think it's because you care. There's a level to which we can convince ourselves that we don't care and we can find every sort of crutch that we can to <laughs> to like stop us from caring because it's not cool to care. In a lot of instances, you know, like people are trying to be laid back and, and having a good time. And I think to care, it's so much effort, but it's what you deserve, right? It's so much work, you know, I think. It's so much work. Yeah, people get confused that results don't come easily. And anything worth having takes time and effort and a lot of sacrifice. And I think we're just so impatient, you know, and not willing to put in the time and care about things and. Can I read you a passage that my friend Kevin just read to me? Yes. All right, so this is a Teddy Roosevelt quote, and I think, hands down, TR is one of the greatest role models a man could look up to, I think. All right, so here we go, ready? Nothing in this world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, difficulty. No kind of life is worth leading if it is always an easy life. I know that your life is hard, I know that your work is hard, and hardest of all for those of you who have the highest trained consciences, and who therefore feel always how much you ought to do. I know your work is hard, and that is why I congratulate you with all my heart. I have never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who led difficult lives and led them well. I think that we lose sight of how hard other people are working to achieve their goals because we pass it off as luck or as chance and good fortune that they happen to know someone or like they met this person. Like we lose sight of the things that that person did to be in the right time and right place. Obviously, I'm not suggesting that the person who was born into privilege is 100% responsible for what they've achieved, but I do think that. By stripping away the hard work that other people do, we're really kind of selling ourselves short because we don't allow ourselves to fully realize like just how much work does go into it. It's just easier. It's just easier to feel that way. It's easier to feel like somebody's already won the race, so why even try? You know, and, and people lose sight of the importance of 
it's not about being better than everyone else. It's about being better than your past self. Raising the bar, getting better, improving. If you're at a certain place in your life with the skills that you have, it's about how do we nurture the ones that we care about and raise the bar and achieve new levels of success within ourselves. And I think it's important, it's necessary to have role models and inspiration and see people and talk with people and, you know, admire them and take little tidbits from them and use their success as a sort of conduit to yours. But aside from all that, it really is us against our former selves. You know, we have all of these voices in our head, both positive and negative from our past that try and convince us that we're either not doing what we're meant to do, that we are not doing it well enough. Usually it's a negative thing. And I think that confronting those demons, if you will, and realizing that there's no one there to actually tell you that you're doing it wrong because life is inherently right. There's no written version of your life that you have to match at each chapter. It's not pre-scripted. As cliche as it sounds, I always knew that I was different, primarily in the way that I always got along with older people. Even as a young kid, I would be like hanging out with my friend's parents upstairs when they were, and when everyone was downstairs playing games or whatever. So I had this innate sense that I kind of knew what adult thoughts were, but the difference was that as a kid, I always, always loved playing. And at two, my mom pushed me on the stage in a stroller because my older brother had already been doing theater for a few years and loved it. And my mom and dad both met doing shows. And when I was two, I got pushed on in this production of Alice in Wonderland as the baby pig. I don't know where a baby pig comes in Alice in Wonderland, but (laughs) they must have written it in or something. My first lines were oink, oink, and wow, wow. And I guess from that moment on, without really knowing it, I was just kind of pushed in that direction. And I always found such solace in it, I think, because I've never wanted to feel confined to one time and place. I always have wanted to get to explore different periods of history. And I think that history is kind of the connecting factor in in everything. And remembering our humanity from a base level, from the fact that You know, since the Egyptians, since the Jews were in the desert, since the Chinese were building the Great Wall, you know, all of these ancient empires and peoples were all living based off the same needs and wants, right? Like the hierarchy of needs. And I've always wanted to be able to connect that disconnect I see that we always feel that we are the most progressive and contemporary civilization that has existed And so it's very important for me to remind everyone through the work that I do that we are unique, but we are not unique in our problems and that they are problems that have existed throughout the entire history of time. You know, I was just at the Met yesterday and they had this exhibit called The Last Night and it was about this leader, Maximilian I. And he conquered the Holy Roman Empire and all of these huge, huge territories. And he had all of his subjects stay loyal, all of these small municipalities stay loyal to him by creating elaborate, ornate armor for them. And he would send them out as gifts. And so he had this facade that he was strong. This armor stood for the strength of his empire and of his rule. And meanwhile, he 
human is actually on the brink of collapse. And it's just amazing to me the efforts to which people will go to convince people that they are sound and that they are strong and doing the right thing. And this is something that has existed from the dawn of time. My papa was a huge integral part of my life and he wanted to be a cantor his whole young life he wanted to be a cantor because he loved singing but he was never able to do that because of financial burden of a lot of things that he just never felt he was capable of breaking the mold and going for it so i think that through that he encouraged my mom to really explore the creative side of her and through that she in turn me my mom is one of the most creative geniuses i know my mom made all these programs for schools that she took around for the past 40 years, probably, that are either ancient Greece or ancient China, or she has an Oregon Trail play that she wrote with my dad. She has a Christopher Columbus play that she did with my dad. She wrote all of these things and created all these worlds that she would bring to schools. So at home, we had all of those things there, and of course, my mom. So there was never an option whether we would be interested in those things or not, you know? So... Mm -hmm. So we always got to play and explore and live in different worlds. And that's something that I've maintained, I would say. I just remember, I think it was like junior year of high school, I turned to my mom and I was like, you know what, mom, I'm over the hump. I have decided that there's nothing else in the world that's going to make me happy. No other career that's going to make me happy besides telling stories to people in this manner. You know, I'll get kind of real here. My parents lived in a loveless marriage for most of my life. My mom is not shy about the fact that she went to see a divorce counselor 19 years before she filed for divorce. She filed for divorce when I was 18 years old. So essentially, she had been thinking about divorce as long as I had been alive and then some. So growing up, I always had a lot of love in my family. It was intense and passionate in terms of support and love and my brother and I had this amazing relationship that he was my rock he was my rock and being seven and a half years older than me I always looked up to him for everything the things to do how to react and respond to situations because I think that my brother is able to handle so many situations with just such class and with strength and there isn't a day that goes by that I don't really emulate him and try and be as good of a man as he is because I do love him that much. You know, my mom and dad had a lot of problems and there would be so many shouting matches, so many times that I would just be sitting up in my room covering my ears because I didn't want to hear it and my brother would be there holding me and reminding me that it was going to be all right. And you can't really replace that with anything. There's no artificial that. When you go through that kind of environment with someone, they become your everything. And so when he left when I was in fifth grade, I moved into his room shortly after because I wanted to be absorbed in his world. And that's a love that is honestly unlike any other love that I've experienced. So my mom filed for a divorce right as I was going into college. And there are times that you have to be really mature and grown up about situations that you don't really want to deal with, especially as the child or as the younger sibling. Sometimes it's just, it's a matter of you have to deal with it or you have to distance yourself and accept that your parents are grown humans. They are people that are capable of making their own decisions. They have. And, you know, family is a tricky, tricky thing because... We are locked into these people, regardless of their decisions. 
you know, sometimes you have to be there to pick up the pieces because this woman actually raised me and my father as well. I feel like you could have drifted in other ways. How do you feel like you stayed on somewhat of course, you know, to sort of continue to pursue what you wanted and be as positive as you could? I realized that, you know, this woman from our class, that we did have a really special relationship and a love for each other that I wanted to pursue. And we started dating and it ended up being a three-year-long relationship. And she really became both my support system in dealing with a lot of these things. And also, I hate to say it, but in a lot of ways, my escape, because I was able to funnel my focus into into her and into our relationship, which I think, looking back on it, I could have saved myself a lot of grief later in life if I had just addressed my problems then and kind of figured out how to handle things on my own and how to take ownership of my own challenges. And, you know, that's something that I'm trying to do now in my life. It is a tricky sort of slippery slope relationships, and they're so complex, and I think the paranoia and the doubt inside of us can sometimes get the better of us in the fact that, am I with this person? Am I committing to this person because I want to support the greater whole? Or is it because it's far more easier and satisfying to invest in someone else than to invest in myself? You know, where is the line and that balance that I need to continue to work on myself while working on this relationship, while sacrificing and committing to this other person? And something along the way, I think, has to give. And I think it's easier for us to go a little bit more on autopilot and invest in the relationship because we're getting love from it, because we're getting support from it. And then years go by and we realize that we haven't actually spent the time with ourselves to overcome the difficulties that we sort of needed the other person to solve. Yeah, I mean, I think that almost every relationship has that battle of having to balance the commitments that you make to yourself versus the commitments that you make to your partner. And it's a lot easier for us to commit to another person. And I truly, truly do believe that every successful relationship first stems from the individual and each individual pursuing their own separate interests. I think that that's the only real way to create a long-lasting and binding partnership is through self. People forget that in the relationship, you and your partner are both the foundation, right? And the things you build together are like the house. But if you build this house without having the foundation, then it's just going to collapse. The benefit of working on the self is that once you do find yourself in a committed relationship, the people that have found you are loving you and supporting you for who you actually are. Instead of you getting confused by, am I doing this because it's what I want or am I doing it because I think that's what this person will want me to do? And the people that share your time, even friendships but relationships, the people that share your life are a part of your life because they love you for the interests that you have genuinely. And they will find themselves supporting you because you have already done this work on the self and then you you know you find somebody that has also done the work on the self 
and the interests that you have developed genuinely within yourself, those start to match up. And then all of a sudden you find yourself with somebody who's like-minded and loves what you love and the rest is easy. Right. I almost have to question sometimes like, is this possible? You know, like, <laughs> like is, is it possible that I have found someone that someone has found me? You know, it's, it's interesting because I think that we as people, we're hypersensitive to this. We're like, we think about it a lot about who we are and what we have to offer and what we want out of life and what we want to also share with people. And sometimes it can feel like we are never doing enough, like we never have enough special skills or we aren't good enough at any particular thing. That's how I feel at least sometimes. And I think that it's easy to get lost in that and to not have this reminder that the work that you've done for yourself has paid off and it is important. And for me, it's the little things like pursuing things that don't really have a concrete desired outcome. Sometimes it's just simply like, oh, I want to learn how to juggle, so I'm going to juggle. Or I'm going to go take this gymnastics class because I've always wanted to tumble and it's not too late to try. And I think that if more people just pursued the things that they always just wanted to try and not judge themselves for it, you're much better off, I think, if you do that. It's work. It's not just like, you know, it's, it's work. It's putting yourself first sometimes. And I think that it's really easy to kind of just say that's selfish behavior. And I think that we're programmed to feel that way in a lot of ways. And I think that kind of changing the paradigm, like shifting it to really think about it in a positive way as opposed to a negative is important. You know, on the whole, I think that the one area in particular that you see a lot of men take this initiative for self-growth is at the gym. And I think that there's something definitely great about that, but I think there's also something to be said about maybe not feeling the freedom to pursue other things that aren't related to hyper-masculine stereotypes or ideas of what men have to be. I think that more men, if they actually gave themselves the freedom to think and feel their emotions, would want to do other creative outlets that might not be something that they are familiar with or something that they are giving themselves the permission to try, but... I think that freeing ourselves of this traditional concept of what is acceptable, what is masculine, is very important in order to grow. There are so many other opportunities to grow and try new activities and things that really help you tap into that idea of self and help you discover the things you like and don't like and become more aware of your body and its needs and wants and also your mind and soul and what those things need and want. I think too often we weigh one of those over the other when in reality the only way to really achieve your goals is through a combination of the three, I think. I think as human beings, we have to continue to try new things. I think it's so easy to get stuck, for lack of a better word, in the day-to-day sameness and not branch out and discover new things or travel to new places or try new activities and push yourself in different ways. Even if it's a basic sort of... Insignificant. Insignificant. It it doesn't need to be anything. It can be a thought that you had. You read a book and you thought, oh, maybe that would be cool if I did that. And just actually actively going out and trying it just to see what it's like, you know, without judgment, with an open mind. 
And who knows where that could lead? It goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation, finding that playfulness. It's this cliched, old-fashioned idea that we talk about all the time. It's like kids are full of play, and you get to a certain age, and you just lose sight of that. And for whatever reason, everybody's okay with that. It really does take a mindful playfulness to just want to approach life in this new, fun, explorative way. I don't know where or why that is not so important to people anymore. Yeah, I don't really know where we kind of strayed, where that path was broken and became a hardline childhood, adulthood. Mm -hmm. And once you have reached a certain age and you have these certain responsibilities, there's only one way of going about that and i just think that we could really greatly use some tapping into our youth and let loose and just be silly give ourselves the freedom to be silly and make mistakes i've been doing a lot of work with kids lately as an educator and a performer and every time i go in and i see the limitations that are put on the kids by adults and not allowing them to explore the emotions and feelings that they have. And I think that we're restricting so much potential for learning and growth by making every child learn in one specific way. Like, for example, just the other day I was teaching this class. I'm teaching this acting ancestors class at a Hebrew school where you choose one of your relatives from history and you create a character based on them. And at the end of the class, we'll present those to our fellow classmates. And I had one girl that I was trying to get them to do a a nice primal scream, you know, a nice primal yelp doing my best Robin Williams impersonation in Dead Poets Society. And children up until maybe age six or seven will scream with you and be absolutely absurd. But there's some change there that happens when they go to elementary school, when they're put into a very strict situation, and they start losing it slowly this ability to tap into those primal urges and instincts to just release our sound and release our breath and it hit up a spot that was deep-seated in me when i saw this young girl probably 10 maybe 11 and she said you know but this is like absolutely not what we're told to do like we're not supposed to be loud so are you telling us to break all those rules and i literally looked her dead in the eye and i just said Absolutely. That is what I am asking you to do. This space is not to be correct. This space is for you to be you. You're right. You get to that point where you're in school, especially like a public school, and you just have so much constriction and, you know, rules and curriculum and all that. And and then the more self-aware you get in that, the more judgment is passed through you and by you and towards you and then all of a sudden that self-awareness turns into self-consciousness and then you just start to get scared and doubt yourself and worry about things that never even occurred to you before and your impressions on people become paramount and how you affect people and how you're affected by people is just all you can think about and then time goes on and we just build that wall up farther and farther and then before you know we've lost the concept of being able to play and explore and like you said just be you what is it people struggle to understand what that even means yeah this is just another example i was helping one of the boys that i babysit he's a 12 year old he is currently doing henry the fourth part one at his school which is amazing i mean 
like ridiculous. But we were going over some of the text, and he, like almost every one of our classmates to some degree, has this Shakespeare voice. And I think that it's rooted to a much deeper place, which is that we don't feel that our voice is acceptable enough to exist in that world, right? And you don't need to put on a voice because your voice is enough if you're saying it truthfully. And so it was a, a really interesting experience to kind of have to try and coax this young boy into realizing that he could just talk like him. And in fact, it's going to be 10 times better and make us relate to it. Yeah, I think because we have such a large capacity to think and analyze that we overcomplicate everything. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think men do that even more than other people because we don't have a great resource to outlet our emotions and our thoughts that we internalize and therefore we continue to overanalyze and overthink and we never are able to sort of get it all out and so we just become this like walled up complicated mess and it's so silly it doesn't make any sense when all you have to do like for example the kid you babysit all you have to do is speak just talk as you talk, you know, I think that people run into those issues so much in life. Just all you have to do is just be who you are and do what makes you feel good and be kind to people and to yourself. And that is it, you know? That's it. That's it. It's so challenging to strip away all those things within yourself and find that vulnerable heart of it all, you know, the nucleus, you know, we build up so much around it that the more secure we get in overcomplicating things, the more we depend on it and the easier it is over time to lose sight of who we actually are and we just continue to fill in the blanks with other excuses or other distractions and a lot of the times I find that those distractions can be very practical, very good things in our lives. They can be, you know, getting married and, and having a house and having a family, or they can be that nine to five job that pays you well so you can go on vacation once a year. Like these very standard, applicable things that are inherently good but are still distracting us from who we actually are and the things that we really want to be doing. Absolutely. There's something Marx has that's called the alienation of the worker. And it's this idea that in today's day and age, a majority of people are so alienated from the work that they're doing because they're not kind of the masters of the ship. And it's separating and it's distancing. And it's hard to take ownership of it because it's not yours. So I think that, you know, a lot of people are working for these huge, massive corporations and they are having this crisis of identity. Why am I doing this? What is this doing for me? In a lot of cases, people just aren't being true with themselves and honest and finding out what they want to do. And sometimes it might be more difficult. I mean, you and I know, Chris, like we've both chosen a path that is very unconventional and it's definitely not easy. But I don't know about you, but I feel liberated in a lot of ways in my life to be the real me. I'm responsible to myself and that that feels good, or at least I'm working on that. I have been led to this place largely because I've opened the door, right? There's a reason that people say that things happen when you're not looking for them. You know, I was not in a place where I felt comfortable being in a relationship. I think a lot of that was self-doubt. A lot of that was 
me worried about taking on the responsibilities and world of another human because as my mom so aptly put it when you get into a relationship with someone you're not just taking on them you're taking on their entire world their whole universe and so I was definitely hesitant for a long time after being in a very serious relationship when I was younger I've been walled up more than I really thought so I think taking the past few years to explore my interests and try new things and and be a little more real with myself but also not saying no to opportunities has led me into this place where I feel comfortable welcoming someone else in and it's not easy I mean Jessica and I have this conversation all the time you know like how I have a lot of walls up I'm very guarded in a way that I never thought that I was and I think part of my hesitations in getting into a relationship in the first place were that I didn't want to confront those guards, those walls. And only through confrontation and through work, really, can we grow. And so Jessica and I have been dating for nearly a year, and it's incredibly important to be honest with yourself and real. And when you find that someone that randomly likes to go archery shooting or likes the idea of taking a martial arts class or going to the Met for a day and just walking around and enjoying it, there's something so special in that, but you can only do that when you explore yourself. You know, I spent the past couple summers in Italy trying to do a lot of soul-searching, which I cannot recommend traveling solo enough. It's something that you are confronted every moment of every day that you are traveling alone with this consistent thought, which is, what do I want to do? And then the follow-up being, only you can decide it. And therefore, you just do it. You make the decision. You say, I want to go here. I want to try this. And that really helped me and put me on the right path, at least. My mom will be very proud of me for mentioning this, but one of her favorite quotes is, you must do the thing you think you cannot do. And also to try something every day that scares you. Yeah, this is, I love you, man. <laughs> I love you, dude. Um, Okay, awesome. We're going to close it up here with Sharon's closing questions. And I have my first question for you here is, what is one word you would use as a synonym for love? I want to say freedom. I love that. Next question. What is one aspect of your personality you are proud of and one that you want to improve? I am very proud of how outgoing I am and adventurous. I think that I truly try to embody this idea of living life like it's your playground. And the one thing that I think I definitely could work on is my commitment. I think that I struggle to commit to myself to accomplish specific goals. And I think I often kind of hide in this land of adventure so that I don't have to always be completely 100% real with myself, which is what are my aspirations? What do I want to be in this world? And what do I want to do? Definitely. Awesome. So last question is, what are three defining words that make up a man? Strength, care, and I feel like I have to say honor. Beautiful. So we're closing up here. Thank you so much, man. I am so grateful for our friendship and for you taking the time to talk with me. And thank you so much for being here with me. 
I love you, Chris. The honor was mine. This is another episode of Sharing Feelings. Talk to you soon.